Bible to Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter 1. And we did an introduction to Nehemiah last week. It was such an amazing time in God's Word, I'll tell you. And Nehemiah, again, is, is our favorite book to learn from, to read from, because we as a ministry have drawn so many principles, so much in regards to leadership that we apply and that we want to learn and that we want to pursue. And one of the common themes and the purpose of Nehemiah we see is that Nehemiah is called to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. We talked last week about how important it is to have walls. Because walls are meant not only, or as we think sometimes, that they're meant for, to divide. But walls are meant to protect. Walls are meant for safety. Walls are meant so that we can take care of the Jerusalem of our hearts and of our home. And we see that walls are built, walls and revival are built in prayer. You can't build walls without prayer. And we want to build the walls of devotion, rebuild the walls of prayer, rebuild the walls of our study time with the Lord. Maybe the walls that have been broken down with discouragement, with criticism, with opposition, maybe with hurt um, that we faced or trials. We want to rebuild the walls that the enemy for a long time has destroyed. And I don't know how that, that looks in your life personally, but I know in, in some area, each and every one of us has a responsibility to rebuild. And you know that the entire purpose of Nehemiah, the ultimate goal of Nehemiah is to restore. And I know that all of us here need restoration. All of us here need now revival. All of us here need that rebuilding. And it all starts with what Nehemiah did is prayer. It starts with prayer. That's how revival starts. That's the only way that revival starts. I heard someone say this week, and it really, really did not sit well with me in my stomach, and even in my heart, that they told me, you know, revival takes place when you have the right person at the right place and at the right time. Man, I thought that was a joke, <laughs> because that's not how revival starts. Revival starts in repentance. Revival starts in brokenness. Revival is not a coincidence. It's not because you have some type of little formula or game that you've st strategically thought about so that you can start a movement that's all man-made. It's not going to last. It has no effect. You know what lasts and has effect is prayer and fasting, brokenness and repentance. And we know that that's exactly what Nehemiah did. When he found that the situation was so critical, he went to his prayer clause and started to pray. Because we know as a fact that you cannot lighten the load of what's taken place of this critical situation until you have first felt the pressure. Do you feel the pressure right now, that the pressure that we have to rebuild? Do you feel the pressure maybe in your house, the pressure in your marriage, the pressure at home, maybe even in your own life with anxiety or thoughts in your mind? Do you feel that pressure? Because you cannot lighten that load until you first feel that pressure. And you come to reality that something is wrong and things need to be rebuilt. I'll tell you, if you're going to be a wall builder like Nehemiah is, you also have to be willing to carry bricks. <laughs> you have to be willing to carry some burdens. A lot of times we want to be a Nehemiah, but we don't want to carry the bricks. We don't want to carry the burdens. I don't want that burden. Give that burden to somebody else. Then you never will build any wall. We need a burden. You need men and women with burdened, with a burden for people, for the burden for, to rebuild a wall, with the burden for ministry, with the burden for those that are lost. 
Alan Redpath said it best. He said, a hundred people with a burden is better than a thousand people without. A hundred people with a burden is better than a thousand people without. You know what Nehemiah did with that burden that he had? He was faithful with that burden. He was disciplined with that burden. And he was committed to that burden. Today, are you faithful to the burden that God has placed maybe in your life? Are you committed to rebuilding walls? Are you disciplined, but not even more than committed? Are you consistent? Because not more than, than commitment do we want. We don't want to stop at commitment. We want to go past commitment into consistent. Because it's not okay for us to be just committed when we want. It's about being committed consistently. It's about being disciplined consistently. It's about showing faithfulness consistently, not only when it's convenient, but doing it when it's not convenient. You will never finish the wall if you're not consistent. You will never finish the wall when you're consistent. But today, as we go into the prayer closet of Nehemiah, we're going to see not only that he prays, but we're going to see how he prays. This is an amazing prayer guide to revival. I'll tell you. Because Nehemiah is not only a man of, the, of prayer, but we find out very quickly in chapter 1 that Nehemiah is a man of the Word of God. And as he is fasting and as he is praying, think about what happens here. Let's pray before we even enter. Lord Heavenly Father, we ask that you would just really move in our hearts. More than faithfulness, more than discipline, more than just commitment. That we would take all those qualities and be consistent with them, Jesus. We don't want to be faithful only when, Lord, it's convenient, God. We want to show consistency in the way we serve, Lord. In the way we're rebuilding the walls. We ask, Lord, that if there are any attacks of the enemy right now that are breaching, Lord, now the place of Jerusalem in our homes, in our hearts, in our marriages, whatever it would be, Lord, that you would stop, Lord, that attack, Lord, that we would overcome and that we would rebuild. In Jesus' name, and together we said, amen. It says here, verse 4, as we recap, so when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the Lord God of heaven. Verse 5, let's hear about his prayer. Let's see how he prays actually. And I said, here's the prayer of Nehemiah from verse 5 to verse 10. And I said here, I prayed, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenants and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. Verse 5, you see how he opens up his prayer? He opens up his prayer with worship. He doesn't open up his prayer with petition. <laughs> A lot of times we, also, we always open up our prayers with petition. But Nehemiah, expecting a revival, opens up his prayer with gratitude, opens up his prayer with worship. Oh, great and awesome God, oh, Lord, God of heaven. Oh, Lord, God of heaven, he's using the covenant name of God. It's almost as if he's saying in Jesus' name the way we say it today. He's saying, oh, Lord, God of heaven. And he goes on, oh, great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant. Now that part, we have to pause there and just soak in that, that you who keep your covenant. Because it goes with that song that we sing, your promise still stands. When he's saying you who keep your promise, your covenant, it's saying, Lord, you who keep your promises. Oh, great and awesome God, oh, awesome God of heaven, you who do not fail when it comes 
to promises. He's worshiping. He's exalting the Lord. He's recognizing. And now he's leaning in to the promises of God. I pray that today we would lean in to the promises of God. That we would hold on to the promises of God even during tough times. There's a tough time. It's a trial right now in Nehemiah's life. It's critical right now. The walls are in ruins. And the situation is now where they are mourning. But even in that moment, he's holding on to the promises of God, the covenant name of God. He is praising the Lord even during those moments. And he says this in verse 5. You who keep your covenants and mercy, you're so merciful, you're so compassionate, Lord. Thank you, God, because you're so compassionate. Think about this. He's about to, re to revive. He's about to rebuild from a time of rebellion. From a time of rebellion. And anytime we're from a time of rebellion, let's hang on to the promises of God. Let's hang on to His mercy. Let's go and make sure that that, that mercy, that anchor, that word is, is completely our anchor here. And it says, with those who love you and observe your commandments. You see, Lord, you keep your promises and you keep your covenants and you keep your mercy with who? With those people that love you and that obey your commandments. Now, God is so merciful and He's willing to keep His promises in our, in our lives. He's willing to keep His promises in our every single, in every, our everyday life, in every situation, in every circumstances. But to who? To those, here it says, who love you and observe your commandments. Two requirements. You want the Lord to be faithful and show mercy in your life, in your situation? You want the Lord to start rebuilding for the time of rebellion? You want to see some repentance that really makes sense and really is effective? It's to those who love God and keep their commandments, His commandments. And He's talking now to the Lord. And now He says in verse 6, please, He's desperate. He's pleading out to the Lord. I love this word, please. Because it reminded us. When was the last time you used that word in your prayer? Please, Lord. Please, God. You know what it shows? It shows that he's pouring out his heart. It shows that he's not rushing his prayer. It shows that he means what he says. That it's not just words, empty words coming out of his lips. It's saying that this prayer is started from the heart. It didn't start from the mouth. The prayer started from the heart. And it says here, please, Lord, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open. You know what he's praying for? Lord, we need your, we, Lord, we want you to listen. And we, Lord, we want you to look. Lord, I want you to listen, and I want you to look at my situation. Lord, I want you to listen, and I want you to look into our church. I want you to listen, and I want you to look into our family. I want you to listen, and I want you to look into our marriage. I want you to listen and look into my mind and the anxiety, the depression, and the thoughts. Lord, let your ear be attentive and your eyes here be open. Hear the prayer of your servant. Here it says here. The prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night for the children of Israel, your servants. Now you have to understand that he's mourning and praying for many days, it already told us. But then he gives us an emphasis that he was praying. He positioned himself as a servant. And he said, look into, listen and look to the prayer that I'm praying. And when is he praying? Night and day for the children of Israel. He's occupying and he's filling up his time night and day with prayer. It says night and day for your servants. And how is he praying as he's praying night and day? This is a man that's seeking now revival. This is a man night and day that he means business with God. 
You always know when men and women mean business with God when their time is occupied with prayer. You always know when someone's serious about God when they pray more. You always know when someone has a heart for the Lord when they're praying night and day. What does the Bible teach us in Thessalonians 5.16? Paul said, pray without ceasing. Pray and don't stop praying. Pray nonstop. Be always praying. And then in Luke 18, verse 1, it says, The Lord said, pray and don't lose heart. Don't give up on your prayer. You know why he prayed night and day? Because he wasn't giving up on his prayer. Because he was ready to receive from the Lord. You see, when you have a situation like this, when you need to rebuild those walls, and whatever the situation would be, you need to go to the Lord, who is the specialist that we need for those uncrossable and impossible situations. Go to the Lord. He is the specialist when it comes to impossible and when it comes to uncrossable. Go to the Lord. And he's going night and day. And it says here in verse 6, For your servants... Now, the children of Israel and confessing their sins. He's going to prayer in humility. He's going to prayer with confession. And this is when the Lord always hears your prayer, when we go in confession. He's confessing. He doesn't now go complaining. He goes confessing. He didn't start to complain about the walls. He started to confess about the situation. Sometimes we complain about the result instead of complaining and confessing about the cause. <laughs> You see, don't go to your prayer closet complaining about the effect when you haven't confessed about the cause. And he goes now to now confess about the sins of the nation of Israel. But think about how he includes himself here in this very verse. Because it says here, of Israel, which we, he doesn't say they, which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. I love how here Nehemiah is teaching us that they have all acted corruptly, but he's not putting himself in a place where he's not responsible for that situation. He's saying, yes, I and we have sinned. My father's house, we have sinned. We are confessing. I admit that I am also guilty, that my disobedience has corrupted. You know what he's teaching us here? Here Nehemiah is saying, Lord, I'm not only wanting to be a part of the answer here. I don't only want to be a part of the answer. I'm confessing that I'm also part of the problem. <laughs> That's when we have a problem in our prayer closet. Lord, I know that I want to be a part of the answer, but you forget to say, because I know I'm part of the problem. That's when the Lord starts to revive, when we start to confess, Lord, I want the answer, but I know that you have to deal with the problem, and that problem is in me. He's taking personal responsibility. He's not trying to give responsibility to anyone else. He didn't want to wait for someone to do what he was called to do. When God called you to do something, don't blame it on someone else. You take on and hone in that responsibility with a heart of confession and a heart of repentance that are claiming the promises of God now. You see, leaders here make themselves available to be a part of the answer and realize that the answer starts in repentance. What does he do? He welcomes responsibility. And he's rebuilding from that time of rebellion. He shows us now in verse 7, we have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinance which you commanded your servant Moses. The reason why we're here is because we disobeyed you. The reason why we're here is because we left the word of God. The reason why we're here is because we saw the walls and we allowed the walls to go back down because of the fact that we didn't stay close to the word of God and your ordinances and your word. 
You see here, he's, he starts to come now to reality. And I love that he's so realistic that he doesn't pretend that there's not a problem. He doesn't think that the problem or that the walls are now torn down. He knows that the problem is deeper than that and the problem is a heart issue of disobedience. That's the real problem. And he goes on in verse 8 and he says, Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses. You know what he starts to do? He starts to quote scripture in prayer. Uh, you know, we've talked about it before, how it's so important that when you pray, you open your Bible and you say, Lord, do you remember what you said in your word? Do you remember it? Because I'm praying it right now. I'm going to quote it. I'm, Lord, the Lord loves it when you quote verses in prayer. Did you know that? He just loves it when you quote his word because he's the one that wrote it. <laughs> he loves it that you're keeping him accountable to his word. In fact, there's nothing greater than his word. In fact, he, he, had, a, he had a swear by his word because nothing is higher than his word. And now when Nehemiah starts to do it, and he starts to highlight now verses in his prayer life. And look what he says. He's a man of prayer and he's a man of the word of God. Look what he goes on in verses. Remember, I pray the word that you commanded your servant Moses. If you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. That is the result. If we're unfaithful, we're going to get and we're going to reap what we deserve if we're unfaithful. And sometimes we're unfaithful when it comes to prayer. We're unfaithful when it comes to devotion. We're unfaithful when it comes to obedience. He's saying, if you are not loyal, the word of the Lord says, I will scatter you among the nations. I will now, these are the consequences, I will divide you among the nations. You see, when you are unfaithful, there's going to be some division. There's going to be some consequences. And he starts to quote scripture. You know what I love about what Nehemiah is doing? Is that he quotes the scripture that is hard first. He doesn't quote the scripture that is easy. He quotes the scripture that challenges him, that challenges their situation. But he says here now, and this is amazing here, as after he quotes this, and this is a promise for you and for me. Look what he, he starts to talk about now. But if you return to me, maybe today you feel like there's some things that are scattered in your life. Maybe you feel like the pieces and the bricks of the wall are so scattered that it, it, it takes so much energy and effort to grab one piece and to grab another and just put it together to start building and start from scratch. And you're asking yourself, I'll never be able to do this. But I'll tell you, God can. The Lord can. And it says in verse 9, but if you return to me, that's going to happen if you, if you are disobedient. But if you return today, are you going to choose to return? But if you return to the Lord, it says here, and keep my commandments and do them. Keep them and do them. Return, keep and do. Today, God is telling us, return, keep and do, and I will restore. Though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them forth from there and bring them to the place where I've chosen as a dwelling for my name. Man, that's amazing. Though you were cast out so far when you disobeyed, though the pieces are scattered so far from each other, from that wall that has been torn down, if you return, although you were scattered, I will gather them and bring them back to the place where I've called you to worship me, the place that I've chose as a dwelling place for my name. You know what that verse says to us? It says that the Lord, the word of the Lord says that it doesn't matter how far that setback was. There is always a comeback if you return to God. And we have to remember that. Because sometimes we look at the setback being so far 
that we don't know that if we just return to God, there is just a beautiful comeback story. Now let's look at here what he's going to do in verse 10. Because he's teaching us here that the secret to great power in prayer, I'll tell you here, the secret to great power in prayer, you want to see your prayer life change? The secret to great power in prayer, you want to see your prayer life change, is to plead the promises of God. That'll change your prayer life. Start to quote verses throughout your praying. That is the secret to the power in prayer in your life is to plead the promises of God. It will change the way you pray every time. It will change the dynamic of your prayer life. Your prayer room will be filled with the promises of God. Now it says in verse 10, Now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. He now gives recognition to the Lord that you've given us freedom from bondage with your great power and with your strong hand. You've already delivered your servants. And for the second time in verse 11, O Lord, not Lord, but O Lord, he's worshiping his cry. Now I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servants. Lord, listen, please, to what I'm praying. He really wants the Lord to listen. You know the prayer that the Lord listens is to the repentant prayer, the humble prayer, the prayer that's filled with worship because just like, because you're praying doesn't mean that God is listening. You need to come with the right heart. And it says, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. And it says here now, and, I, and let your servant prosper this day, I Pray and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was a king's cupbearer. How many times in verse 1, I would encourage you even to go back home and underline the word pray or prayer. <laughs> because before anything started, you know what, he did, what the foundation was? Prayer. It wasn't anything else. And he's saying here in verse 11, Lord, be attentive to the prayer of your servant, the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. That's the way we want to go to the Lord in prayer, when we have a desire to fear His name. We ought to never go to prayer when we have no desire to actually obey what the Lord's going to tell us to do. If you don't have any desire to do what He's calling you to do, then you might as well not pray. Because prayer is a place of not only confession, it's also a place of surrender. We desire to fear your name. And let your servant, look what he's asking for now, let your servant, or grant to your servant here, now let him prosper this day. Give me success today, God. I want success to rebuild these walls. I, I know that there's going to be opposition, but give me success today, and grant me this day that I may prosper, and grant, here it says, him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. Now what is he asking for? He's asking for two things here. He's asking for mercy in, in the sight of the king, and he's asking that the Lord would give him now a prosperous journey or conversation when he's going to talk to the king. And it tells us why. For I was the king's cupbearer. Now here you have to understand that we have a cupbearer with the heart for God. I love it. He's bivocational. <laughs> we have a teacher with a heart for God. We have a professional with the heart for God. We have a student with the heart for God. We have a mother with the heart for God. We have a mechanic with the heart for God. Whatever you are with the heart for God. This is exactly what builds revival. When men and women become those where God called them to be with the heart for God. 
And you might say, I just work in an administrative work, or I just work in an office, or I just work with a, 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 group, a small group of people, whatever it would be. Well, I work at, you know, at a certain retail place or whatever it is, and sometimes we think our, our, our maybe place that God's called us is, is insignificant, but there, when you have a heart for God, God can start doing the work there. And you see what he's asking for. He's saying, Lord, I pray that you give me favor in front of the king. Why? The king was an unbeliever. The king, his boss, was now one that was noted for and had the reputation as a Persian here, which were impossible. They had the reputation for being impossible to change. Now, he was going to go to the, the king and ask for permission to leave. And we learn here that prayer opens the door and changes the heart of his boss, an unbeliever. Have you ever had a boss that maybe was very difficult? <laughs> Have you ever had a boss that maybe gave you a schedule that you didn't want? <laughs> Have you ever had a, a boss that maybe was a little bit now aggressive or came across or someone in your life that you felt that was putting a stop to what God was doing in your life. It didn't even have to be a boss. It could be a spouse. It can be a, a, a friend. It can be a relative. And, and you, you almost felt that it was impossible to change their heart. Well, let me tell you something. It is. <laughs> you can't change their heart. Only God can. And we learn here from this from Nehemiah. You know, Hudson Taylor said, it is possible to move here through God, it says, men through prayer alone. It is possible. You might think that heart is impossible, but in prayer, it's very possible. You might think that person has a bad attitude, but in prayer, God can change and move their heart. Nehemiah understood that it was not his place to change the king's heart. How many times have you tried to change your spouse's heart? Or try to change your boss's heart. Or try to change your relative's heart. He prayed and he left it up to the Lord instead of dropping hints. You know, sometimes we try to manipulate the situation. We start dropping hints and we start to maybe uh, try to work out a situation so that we can maybe plead our case. And Nehemiah doesn't try to do any of that when it comes to his situation. He prayed for four months and didn't do nothing. And the king's heart was different after you see, are we making a mistake today trying to change someone else's heart instead of leaving it up to the Lord so He can do it? Don't make the change to try to change someone else's heart. You can't change them. Only God can. And as, as much as you try to change them, you're only sometimes pushing them away. Let the Lord change them. Before any meaningful activity, you see here that Nehemiah, before he goes even to chapter 2, before he even has a conversation, you know what motivates him? His prayer life. Because his prayer is what prepares him for the need. I think today more than ever, we have too much working and not enough waiting. For four months he waited. You know what we like to do? We like to jump the gun. We like to work, but we don't like to wait. For four months he did nothing. You know what he was doing actually? He was being faithful behind the scenes. Don't be faithful in front of the scenes. Be faithful behind the scenes and pray for the heart of that person so God can change the heart as he was changing the heart of that king. You don't want to be, why, why it's so important that he changed the heart? Because this was the same king that ordered for the walls to not be rebuilt. The walls were supposed to be rebuilt, be rebuilt in times past, but this is the king that said, don't build them. Stop the building. And he's going to go to that same king that stopped that work one time and tell him, you know what, we want to rebuild the walls now because he has a burden. How? He's faithful behind the scenes. He is faithfully bombarding the throne of God. 
Are you faithfully bombarding the throne of God? What does that look like to you? When you faithfully bombard the throne of God. I really believe that in those four months, you know what he was saying? Lord, either take this burden away from me, or show me how to be the, the man to answer now this burden. Either take this away from me, or give me the answer to meet this burden. He was praying. He was waiting. And that, you know what that teaches you when you wait? It teaches you patience. It teaches you to depend on the Lord. Because he was about to request to leave comfort. He was about to request to leave now convenience. Where he lived in a palace with position, with honor, with responsibility. He was about to give all of that up to leave. He didn't want to choose now that position or he didn't want to choose the convenience or the comfort of having everything. With being one of the, the king's advisors as a cupbearer, he was going to leave that to go to ruins? Are you kidding me? Yes, because he had a burden. Yes, because he was depending upon prayer. He was stepping out. He was making good use now of what we call today the Holy Spirit and stepping out. Make good use of the power of the Holy Spirit and step out. Make good use of the power of the Holy Spirit and step out. Make good use of that power and step out. Because why would you need a comforter if you're so comfortable already? So many times we think, Lord, I need the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Why? You, you, you are the most comfortable person I possibly know, the Lord is saying. You haven't stepped out in, in forever. Make good use of that power and step out. Nehemiah wasn't trying to be something he wasn't. He knew God called him to be a wall builder at that point in his life. And he didn't choose to stay when he was called to go. You're gonna, we are going to come in one point or another in our lives when we have to choose to stay or go. Is God calling you to move forward to rebuild those walls? To leave convenience? To leave comfort? Oh no, I'm just going to be over here comfortable, but I want the walls to be built. And if they're not built, I'm going to start complaining about why my situation is so awful, but I'd rather complain than confess. I'd rather stay here instead of going. You're never going to see anything rebuilt like that. You know what Nehemiah knew? He knew that his purpose was much greater than his position. He knew that his purpose which much greater than his position. I want you to know that today. Your purpose is much greater than any position that you have. Because your purpose is to rebuild walls. And he was a leader not by title. He was a leader by trait. A lot of times we want to be a leader by title. Because I have a title, I'm a leader. That's not what makes you a leader. What makes you a leader is a burden, the trait that's led by prayer. We're going to see how he, how he prepares here. And we're just going to go very vaguely into chapter 2 today because we see how preparation is so important. Preparation is a leader's result in prayer. I, I pray that you take really earnest heed when it comes to preparation. I think that so many times we pray and then we don't prepare. There are three concepts that I want you to remember today when it comes to a new work of the Lord, any work of the Lord actually. It's first pray. It's then plan, and then it's then plow. All equally important and in that order. Pray first, then plan, and then plow. Get to work. You know why prayer is important? Because you get to carry that burden, and it gets to be a spirit-led burden. You know why plan is so important? Because you get to practice, and you get to prepare for when you actually go and plow. A lot of times, we, we complain about how the plowing is not working, but we never prayed, and we definitely never planned. <laughs> Your planning is so important 
so that when you plow, it's so effective. And sometimes you would ask yourself, well, man, we prepared so well. How come when we plowed, it didn't work out? Let me ask you, did you pray? <laughs> you pray, you plan, and you plow. And then it came to pass in the month, chapter 2, verse 1 of Nehemiah of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Oxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. And I had never been sad in his presence before. Four months from the time where he understood the need. And look what he says. And now I personally am going to go up to the king and tell him something. I, I, we have to notice what he says here. I had never been sad in the presence of the king before. You know why he wasn't sad? Even though the situation was bad? Because he was trusting and depending upon God. You don't have to be sad when you're trusting and depending upon God. And I think sometimes we pray... But we don't really trust God and depend on God, so we're, we're so sad. You can't worry and pray at the same time. It doesn't, it, I mean, it just doesn't make sense. When he was praying for those four months, he had never been sad. For four months, he wasn't sad after that moment. He had never been sad in his presence. He, he was trusting the Lord here. He, but he had this breaking point now. And look what it tells us. It speaks about here, this breaking point now. It says, therefore... The king said to me, why is your face sad since you are not sick? He finally broke here. And he started to be sad after these four months. This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid. Why was he afraid? For two reasons. Number one, for the reason that he's about to tell the king, I'd rather be somewhere else than be here. <laughs> Have you ever felt that you're scared about telling someone, I, I need to step out, I need to go and you're, it's a difficult situation to say because you're saying, I'd rather be there than here. But you have a burden. And he's praying now for those four months for the Lord to prepare their heart. When you're going to have a difficult conversation with someone, I, I really would encourage you to pray and marinate that conversation in prayer before you actually have that conversation. What does Proverbs 21.1 tells us? The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And like rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. Your boss's heart is actually in the hand of the Lord. And he'll do whatever he wants with that heart. <laughs> your spouse's heart, your relative's heart, your friend's heart, your own heart is in the hand of the Lord. He'll do whatever he wants with it, as long as you give it to the Lord in prayer. And look what he says here now as he goes in verse 3. It says, he's about to give an explanation. He was so afraid. Because when a cupbearer was looking sick. It meant that maybe he had now consumed something that was dangerous for the king to partake of. And it says in verse 3, And he said to the king, Make the king live forever. He's showing honor. He's showing respect now. He says, Why should my face... Not, he didn't say, Be sad. <laughs> he said, Why should my face not be sad? Do you like how Nehemiah is being honest and real and raw? That like he's not trying to fake it like everything is really okay? Oh, what's wrong with you, man? You don't look like you're, you know, that everything's going well. No, everything's good, you know. He's saying, no, there's, why should my face not be sad, actually? I have every reason. He wasn't fake. He admitted that there was a problem. But in verse 3, he says, When the city, the place of my father's tomb, lies in waste, and its gates are burned with fire. I have a burden for the city. I have a burden for my father's house. It's in ruins. Its gates are burned with fire. He has a burden. Look what he says. For the city. How can my heart not be sad when the city here still needs a lot more people to be reached for the Lord? Does that matter to anyone? Because for Nehemiah, it mattered that the city where he was from was lost and needed now reconstruction. 
Should it not matter that this is the home base, the city that maybe God has brought us to, and that we should care about this city where the Lord has brought us? Maybe the city of your heart, the city of the home where you live in, your family. Why shouldn't I care if its gates are burned with fire, if it's in ruins? Right now, they're in testing time. Why should I not care? But it says, the king said to me, what do you request? Man, you guys just love Nehemiah. All right, so what do you want me to do? Look what his answer was. He didn't, he didn't give an answer. Look what he says. So I prayed to the God of heaven. Are you kidding me? You just spent four months praying. You finally get your shot. And then you go back to prayer. <laughs> he knew exactly that he wasn't going to be impulsive. That he wasn't going to be emotional. After four months of praying, he said, all right, what do you, what do you want? He becomes sensitive and so spirit-led that in verse 4, he says here, he's going to go back to prayer. So I prayed to the God of heaven. And look what he says in verse 5. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, if, I, if me and you have a great relationship, because now the heart of the king is open. And when the heart of that person is open, we want to be able to just go in spirit-led. We don't want it to be the flesh. And it says, if it pleases, and I found favor in your sight, I ask that you send him. No, I ask that you send me. <laughs> oh, Lord, we want to see a work in our church. Send him. <laughs> no, send me to Judah. And to my father's tombs that I may rebuild it. Send me. I want to rebuild it. Lord, put me in. I want to rebuild, me, rebuild it. Think about the enthusiasm. Think about the motivation. Send me. I want to do it. There's a need in the children's ministry. Can you guys send me? Can you send me? I mean, when's the last time you actually volunteered to go and serve at the children's ministry when it wasn't even, you weren't even scheduled? <laughs> When was the last time you volunteered to come and serve the Lord on a day that maybe wasn't scheduled for you beforehand? When was the day you say, we want to evangelize, we want to pray, we want to rebuild, I want to pray for my family. Send me that I may rebuild. I don't want to wait for somebody else to rebuild my family when God's called me to rebuild my family. Oh Lord, why can't we have a better answer, we have a situation, better circumstance? No, I want to be a contributor. Send me. That's the attitude that we should have. Do you have a send me attitude or do you have a send him attitude? If you have a send him attitude, God's not going to use you. You have to have a send me attitude. Here I am, send me. You know three things that we learn from Nehemiah in this verse? That number one, he's ready. Number two, he is now available. And number three, he's willing. It's not only enough to be ready. It's not only enough to be willing. I mean, to be available. There's some people that just are ready and are available, but they are just not willing. And when you're not willing, God can't use you. Because then the Lord will ask you, all right, what else would you do for me then? If that's too inconvenient for you, then what else would you do? He was asking the king here to share his concern for Jerusalem and become a partner in getting the city back where it should be. Can we now say that we are going to share the concern together? That we are going to become partners in bringing back the situation to where it should be? Then the king said to me, now, after he's saying, I want to rebuild. That's the heart. I want to rebuild. And the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside her, how long will the journey be? He starts to ask him question. And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. I want you to underline, I set him a time. Because sometimes we want to do something 
And then we get the follow-up questions, and those follow-up questions make us nervous. <laughs> All right, when are you going to leave, and when are you going to come back? You know, oh, you know what? I, I don't know. I don't even know how long it takes to get there to Jerusalem. I haven't calculated it, King. You'll be, get out of here, man. You're just messing around. You're wasting my time talking about you want to rebuild walls. You haven't even thought about it. You haven't even thought about it. You know what he was doing as he was praying? He was prayerfully also preparing now. And look what it says that the Lord, that, that the king here said, it pleased the king to send him because he gave him a time. He gave him, you know what he was doing? He was responsible with steps of faith. He demonstrated that he was going to be a diligent worker. I'm going to give you a time. I'm going to give you a set time. You know what? It's interesting here that every opportunity should be accompanied by preparation. He prepared. Capable leaders always have a plan. They're spirit-led when it comes to a plan. They're, they're talking to God and listening now in four months as to what God would want to do. He was praying. He was planning. He was practicing, preparing for the plow as they were all equally important. But he knew that faith is no substitute for planning. I'm going to say that again because I want you to remember that. Faith is no substitute for planning. It's no substitute for planning. Charles Swindle said it this way. God always says here, the presence of faith does not mean the absence of organization. The presence of faith does not mean the absence of organization. I'm going to step out in faith and I'm going to serve the Lord. But I'm just not going to prepare. I'm going to step in faith and I'm going to go out and try to rebuild. But I'm not going to plan. God always works through a plan. Did you know that? That the Lord, our God, is a planning God. He plans things. He doesn't just do things out of the whim. He is a planning God. Psalms 33, 11 says, The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans, the plans of His heart are to all generations. He's a planning God. In Proverbs 21, verse 5, it says, The plans... Of the diligent lead, surely to plenty. But those of everyone who is hasty, surely to poverty. The Lord promotes through His word, planning. We shouldn't only prepare, we should also learn to plan. And think about verse 7 through 9. As we quickly go through this, is that He was tactical, He was not emotional. He was very considerate of the cost of what it would take to rebuild this. When he made this request, he was strategic in wanting to know what was it going to take from A through Z to rebuild this wall. And he says this now. Furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river. All right, king. I've already given you a time. I need you to give me letters because once I cross that river, those governors are going to ask me if I have the permits to be able to build there. And I want to have the permits now. He was preparing himself to do it the right way. He says, though they must permit me to pass here through, through till I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, another letter, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber. He also knew that he was going to need timber. How much was he going to need? To make beams for the gates of the citadel which pertain to the temple, for the city wall and for the house that I will occupy. I also need wood. I've already prayed about it and I know that I need wood. Don't just let me go. Give me the letters because I need the access and I need the wood. And the king granted him me according to the good hand of God that was upon him. What does he know here? He knows that it's costly. He knows that he needs permits to access the road. He knows that he needs timber for the resources. Nehemiah knew how long. Nehemiah knew what he would need. Nehemiah knew what kind of materials he would need. And Nehemiah knew what kind of work needed to get done. 
Nehemiah knew how long, what he would need, what kind of materials, and what work needed to be done. He said the citadel walls in the house that I occupied. And he knew all this without having even gone to Jerusalem. Why? Because he was praying and preparing and carefully and patiently planning. You know, there are some times where we simply can't plan, but we should never reject planning. Good leaders, here we learn, do their homework. Nehemiah had done his homework. He knew he needed the timber. He knew that he needed this to be able to, the resources to help him build. And the king granted him because God always honors a plan. If it's prayerfully considered, God honors a plan according to the good hand of God that was upon me. His hand gave him the access that opened those doors. And understand this, God can provide for those needs in unexpected and unlikely ways. Have you ever thought about that? How God can use an unbeliever to provide and to give you access to be able to do what God called you to do? It doesn't matter. And, and here we know that when the Lord's hand is upon those appointed leaders, upon you and upon me, it's like a strong current that is moving people to respond. When you know the Lord's hand is upon it, it's like a strong current and so many people respond. They want to give. They want to participate. They want to be a part of it because the Lord's hand is upon it. In verse 9 it says, And I went to the governors of the region beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. And now the king has sent captains of army and horsemen around. And what did the king also do? The king also gave him safety now on his journey and on his travel, it said. And he presented the letters. He presented the letters now. But look what it says here. Then I went. There's a key there. He didn't only pray. He didn't only plan. He was also willing to plow. It's not enough to just talk about it. It's not just enough to, to cry out to God and be all emotional about it. When it comes down to serving, are you going to be there? You can say it the way you want to say it. You can dress it up so beautifully. But if you don't show up, then it doesn't matter. <laughs> If you don't really go, then what was it all about? He said he went. He went to do the work. He was rebuilding the walls now. He was not short-sighted. He had a heart. He had prayer. He had a vision. But he didn't stop short of doing what needed to get done. He said, let's go ahead and do it. And sometimes we substitute talking about something instead of actually doing it. We have to actually do it. It's one thing to stand around and talk about it with other believers and think about how great an idea would be to evangelize and you pray about it and you plan about it, but you never actually go and do it. What good is it for? But it's another thing to actually go out and to do it. And if God is in the work, guess what? The work is going to get done. The work is going to get done. And it says this, verse 10, we're going to end here. And when Sambalot the Horonite and Tobiah the Amorite official heard of it, they were deeply distressed that a man came to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. Man, here these critics started to come and they were distressed, they were judgmental that Nehemiah wanted to rebuild. Have you ever tried to do something for God and people say, you know what, when you think I can, they're saying, no, it can't be done. Oh, can, we can do this. No, it can't. I mean, I, I'll tell you, I, I, I know what it means to have Sambalats and Tobias in my life. <laughs> Where anytime you try to do something, like, no, you can't do it. No, it's not going to work out. Yeah, we'll see when that doesn't, uh, uh, you know, when that closes up. When the work of God is behind it, nothing can stop it. And you will find that anytime you try to step out and do something for the Lord, you will always almost experience that opposition. I'll tell you this, you can't live a positive now life for the Lord when you're filled with a negative mind. And maybe your negative mind is stopping you from doing what God's called you to do. These men were jealous and they were threatened that a strong Jewish community was going to come and rebuild. They, they were threatened that one man was seeking the well-being of Jerusalem. You see, our spiritual enemies don't mind 
as long as we just plan and as long as we just even sometimes pray. As long as we just talk about it. But when God's people start to do something about it, that's when our enemies start to take notice because they're moving in action. And we have to learn that experiencing opposition and criticism, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're outside of God's will. It sometimes, it reinforces the fact that you're in the very center of his plan because you're facing opposition and you're facing criticism. You see? Does your service for God, here we see, if our service for God, does it really cause Satan to worry at all? These men started to worry because something big was about to happen. I asked, does Satan even feel threatened by what we're doing? I, I pray that the gates of hell would be shaken at the work that's being done at a live Christian fellowship. We learn four lessons here. Number one, changing the heart of people is God's specialty. It's not yours. Changing the heart of people, it is God's specialty. It's not yours. Don't try to change people to fit your specifications. Number two, praying and waiting go hand in hand. You, you've never really prayed until you've learned to wait. You've never really prayed until you've learned to wait and to give up your homemade recipes up to the Lord and say, Lord, I want you to do it. Number three, faith is not a synonym for disorder or a substitute for careful planning. Faith is not a synonym for disorder or a substitute for careful planning. And faith, faith breeds organization and faith and organization go together. Know that, please, right? And number four, opposition is to be expected when God's will is to be carried out. When a person is following God's will, it is, it, it, it is unusual if at least one person doesn't oppose him or her if you're following God's will. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you because this book, Nehemiah, is going to change us. I pray that it would shake us up. I pray, Lord, that it would, Lord, stir our hearts, that we would not leave the same today. Lord, if we want to see walls to be rebuilt, that we would do it the right way. And maybe anyone's heart that needs to be changed. Lord, here we are. Send us to rebuild. We want the training. We want the preparation. We're going to step out in faith. We're going to do it the right way. In Jesus' name. And together we said, amen.